0: This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Welcome to another show with me, Seb Lozier, and this week... Danny Valvedu, formerly coach of Andy Murray, Thomas Burdick and Grigor Dimitrov and currently working with Stan Wawrinka and former women's world number one, Karolina Pliskova. We had a great chat. We talked about Danny's time with all of those leading players as well as coaching alongside Alex Korecha, Darren Cahill, Ivan Lendl and now Magnus Norman. We talk coaching philosophies, career highs and lows, and there are some great little Andy Murray anecdotes along the way as well. But we start with the here and now, dividing his time between two of the leading players on both the men's and women's tours.
1: Everything's going well at the moment. Uh, obviously, spent spend a bit of time at home, everybody kind of doing their own thing. But we started with practice again a few weeks ago. So I spent a couple of weeks in, uh, in Prague with Carolina. And uh, I just got to Monaco a couple of days ago to do some practice with, uh, with Stan. So, yeah, happy to be back on court. Uh, happy to uh, to be seeing Carolina and Stan again. And, yeah, just kind of waiting around just to hear from uh, hear from the tour what the, what the schedule is going to look like, to have a better idea with how, how we're going to plan practice, how we're going to plan uh, the next few months. So just still a bit unsure with uh, what the situation will be for, for everybody moving forward. So just uh, keeping it quite light at, 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 uh, at practices and, and just kind of waiting around to, to have a better idea when the tour is going to start so we can prepare properly.
0: I want to ask you all about working with uh, the, those two players. But first of all, what are the practicalities of of working as a tennis player and a tennis coach at the moment? Is it, is it very different?
1: Well, obviously, when, when we are away and everybody was doing their own thing at home, it was mostly done via, via phone calls and via text, just uh, keeping in touch, just getting a feel, just to see how the player was doing mentally and physically to to try and balance out how much to do uh, and how much to rest. Uh, so th- that went okay, actually. Obviously, it was a new experience for for me and the players just to be away for that long. But it was not that bad. Obviously, I think more than than the training and staying fit and, and keeping your game together, it was more about dealing with the mental uncertainty of not knowing when... When things were gonna kick off again, uh, so that was more, more managing that was was more the issue than than the actual uh, training regime. And uh, yeah, when I saw Carolina in Prague, uh, she was actually in quite a good place mentally and and uh, actually physically as well. She was ready to practice uh, at quite a good level, so I was very happy with that. Uh, Stan also, I think, found the right balance between practice and and rest during the break, and now we can slowly build up uh, build up the body and the game again.
0: There's been so much goodwill shown, I think, among the players. You know, during these very tough times. Obviously, this is affecting a whole heap of players. You know, in the lower echelons of the game. But I hear you've also been involved um, on the coaches' side of things in a similar sort of vein.
1: Yeah, uh, we've been trying to, to put up this uh, auction together uh, for the last few weeks, and yeah, we launched it a, a couple of days ago to try and, and raise funds to help the coaches that uh, that needed the most. During these tough times, and not just for the coaches, but for most people, so yeah, I'm just trying to help us as much as as much as I can. Just just putting up this auction together, which I think it's looking fantastic. You can you can just find it on the ATP website, and uh, yeah, I just think we're offering some pretty amazing experiences uh, with some of the of the top coaches. One of them, uh, it's uh, having an hour session with uh, Boris Becker at the Queens uh, Club grass courts uh, during wow. the. During the tournament, so the the tournament donated uh, some VIP tickets and and some uh, backstage access in the players lounge and player restaurant, uh, plus uh, yeah premium premium courtside tickets plus an hour tennis session with Boris on the on the grass courts there there at Queens. So that's one of them. Another one would be uh, an hour session with uh, Ivan Lendl at the U.S. Open and uh, and some courtside tickets for the for the men's final and also some backstage access during that day so yeah they're pretty special difficult to find that kind of access otherwise so if anyone if anyone's interested and and, and it's a tennis fan and would and like to spend an hour on court with boris uh, ivan or darren cahill paul anacon brad gilbert uh ivan isvich is in it as well there there's about 10 experiences there's access for everybody to win some pretty special things some some signed rackets by stan Grigor. Tasha, Sverev as well. Uh, So there's a few cool items where where people can can buy tickets for them. And as well as the coaches, uh, we will give a percentage of the funds raised to a COVID-19 charity to help uh, people that were affected by by the pandemic.
0: Sounds like a a very worthwhile cause and uh, well done. Um, You've been working with with Stan alongside Magnus Norman, I think, for for a while now. Um, Take a step back for us and tell us how that relationship came about. I've known no, Stan a while. Uh,
1: yeah, we've been uh, quite close for for a few years, and always spoke tennis. Uh, we're yeah, we see the game uh, not too differently. Uh, obviously, it's not, it's not good when when you see it exactly the same because then I wouldn't be able to bring anyone anything to his uh, to his game. But uh, yeah, we had a, we had a very good relationship, and then when I stopped working with Rigor he uh, asked me to join the the team, and and it's been fantastic. I mean, obviously. Um, Spending time around Stan, it's, uh, it's great. And then having, having Magnus around is also great for me. So it's been a, a really nice experience. Uh, I think uh, we were kind of in the right path before the, the pandemic hit. He uh, was trying to find his uh, his way again after the, after the injury. I think uh, he had some good results last year, kind of getting his uh, his game in the big events back with making the, the quarters at the French Open. I wasn't there for that one. Uh, but then slowly building up again, had a, had a good result at the U.S. Open. And, uh, and a few of the ATP events uh, almost won a, a title in Antwerp, which he hadn't won a title in a few years. So that would have been a nice one to get. But uh, obviously Andy, Andy had to take it from us. Uh, but I guess he also deserved it. And, and it's nice to see him back on court and, and winning titles again. So that was quite special to see them, see them both play in a final. And yeah, it's a shame that we lost it. But I, I was very happy for Andy. And yeah, uh, it's, been, it's been great. We had kind of a good, good momentum coming from last year. Had a good off-season. Stan was highly motivated, looking forward to 2020. Had a decent start of the year. Won a couple of matches in Doha, and then uh, had a decent Australian Open again with a lot of chances. Uh, got a bit unlucky uh, with his health in the middle of the tournament, so I think it cost him a little bit. Once he had to play in the in the quarterfinals, but again, uh, it was a good start of the year, kind of in the in the right path. Uh, looking to looking to achieve some some bigger things for him and. And to get that feeling that he was, uh, he was a contender for the big ATP events and the big, and the big tournaments like the Slams, uh, it was not ideal that we had to stop that momentum that he had built uh, after a few, a few months. But again, I think the uh, most important thing for him is that he's feeling fit uh, and, and, and there are no injuries. And that's the case right now, no wood and, and, and I hope that we can, we can have a couple months of good practice and then uh, keep building that momentum.
0: A fit varinka is a is certainly a threat to anyone out there. Um, how does it structure between you and Magnus? What what's how how does that
1: work? I mean, I think it's quite simple. Magnus has, has been around with him for I think six, seven years already, so he knows him inside out. Uh so I'm just trying to bring a little bit of information from the outside. Maybe, obviously, when you spend a lot of time with the player, you don't really, it's not so easy. Even if you want to step out and see it from the outside and from the other player's perspective, it's not so easy. Uh, so, obviously, I've been coaching against Dan for, for a while now with, with Andy, Thomas, and, and, uh, and Grigor. So, I, I know his game quite well and what other players are trying to do uh, to beat him. So, literally, I'm just trying to, to bring, uh, even if it's half a percent, I'll be happy with that.
0: I know you're a real student of the game. I mean what what are you learning from you know the guys, especially Magnus. I mean you've worked alongside a, a a number of top coaches now. Magnus is uh you know he's all he's all heart isn't he? What what does he bring to the table that perhaps you know you're learning from and vice versa maybe.
1: I think from him would have taken uh kind of yeah from spending time around at, at big events and and during practice weeks. He's an extremely hard worker, believes that um if you don't work hard things things will not fall your way uh so that's the base of his work he really focuses on preparation on on making sure that that you're doing all you can to develop your game to make it better to to not only make it better but to make it the best it can be uh to do well at the big events i mean he's He's obviously developed Stan's game in a way that, that he's dangerous uh when it matters. Uh, and it's uh yeah, it's worked quite well for him. So so he's been he's been working on that already for a few years and that's still what he focuses on. He's just trying to find ways to practice that are that are Stan will be able to replicate it uh when, when he really needs it in the slams. And then on the mental side, he's uh very uh how could you put him? He's uh very reliable in a way that with his emotions like he's a solid guy not up and down uh so he, i think he stan can feel, can feel that that's obviously when you look when you look in a coach someone that can give you that uh, calmness which uh which i think magnus does i mean he does that extremely well it's part of his personality uh even though he's a very hard worker and obviously cares a lot about winning or losing he brings that uh, calmness in the, in the big moments and at the big events which uh, I've experienced now for a couple of them and, and a few of the ATP events I mean I was with him at the actually three slams already Wimbledon US Open and Australia so I think that's that's huge for Stan having, having that that person that, that knows him quite well that, that when he looks at him he feels calm and, and that he feels that he can deliver his best game without getting getting too uptight
0: I was interested also to see the announcement that Roger Federer made this week about the knee and going back under the knife um Obviously, um, a fellow Swiss Stan. D- d- between you all, do you is there still a sense that you need to look after Stan in terms of the the body? He's obviously had his own injury concerns. Is that still something that you you know you keep a keen eye on?
1: Definitely. I mean, he's uh, obviously coming towards the late stage of his career. He's thirty five this year, uh, and he's been through quite a lot surgery in uh yeah in the last couple of years so he's been recovering from that so obviously yeah the training uh the main priority when, when we're training and, and scheduling is uh how, how is this training or how is this schedule gonna benefit or hurt his body so we're looking at at the kind of physical health and and, and trying and to prioritize him him peaking physically when he's stepping on court to play an event and and obviously being quite careful with how much rest you give and and how much time you give for for the body to heal and for the body not to not to break down. So, yeah, scheduling for us was was very important this year. I uh, spoke about it a lot in uh, in December, and we were trying to find the right balance between playing events because Stan has a game that he still needs to hit a lot of balls to to gain that confidence that he can just go out there and just keep keep ripping the ball. Uh, but at the same time, we need we need time for him to rest and to feel that okay, I'm physically prepared to go and compete. So yeah, we did a lot of talking and 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 thinking uh before the season started of how how we're gonna build the year in a way that he was gonna feel fresh but at the same time prepared to play the events and at the same time have enough matches under his belt before playing so i thought I thought we we came up with a with a decent plan but obviously we couldn't we wouldn't we were not able to to see it play out but again i i'm I'm confident that the tour will will get back on and then hopefully if we this way, I think he'll be he will be, he'll be ready to play a full year
0: next year again. I mentioned before you, you're also working with Karolina Pliskova. You've just come back from Prague. You've been with her there. Uh, uh, another former world number one. I think she's currently three in the world. What a Wonderful player. How did that come about? And, and also, how do you manage the two?
1: Yeah, I mean, it just, uh, she approached me at the end of last year. Uh, she had just stopped working with, the, with her uh, old coach. who was working with Conchita Martinez, and they uh, parted, parted ways at the end of the season. So she was looking for a coach. Uh, she uh, knew that I was uh, working with Stan, but I was sharing the job with Magnus. So she was just wondering if I had some, some weeks available to help her. And then we decided to just kind of spend a bit of time together in December and, and have a few conversations and spend some time on the court used to see whether it was a good match or not and whether I was going to be able to uh, give her enough time that she felt comfortable having me around, just not to be around just for a few weeks a year because I don't really believe in that. So yeah, after spending some time in December uh, during the off-season, I had a really good feeling about it and, and I guess she did as well. So we, uh, yeah, we decided to to work together this year and to try and find the, the weeks where I could help her. Uh, and I wouldn't be able to do that if I was doing the job along with Stan. Uh, so because Magnus is around, I'm able to to find enough weeks where I can help both and I'm looking forward to the challenge together I think it's a bit different it's new for me it's uh, but at the same time super exciting uh, first time I coach in WTA working with a with a female player so for me it's very new but at the same time uh, the few months that I've done it has been really really nice it's a bit of not not a fresh, feeling of fresh air but in a way it is and also working with carolina it's, it's been a good match i mean I, I really like her she's an extremely hard worker uh she likes likes to practice always looking to improve so um it's uh at the moment it's uh, it's working quite well and i'm very happy with the situation
0: i'm intrigued to ask you about the main differences but first of all i just wanted to pick up on something you said you 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 said that there was almost a minimum that a coach can really work with a player. You said you, you, you don't like just to be with them a few weeks. What, what is the, the minimum for you in any case that you could really be with a player and, and make a difference?
1: I guess it all depends what the player is really looking to get out of the relationship. I, if you're, There are some players that they have their own team already that is traveling full time and they're just looking for that person. To help them in one particular aspect, so maybe you don't need them around that much. Uh, but if you want someone to run your team and to be in charge of your game full year round, you, you have to spend more than 10-15 weeks of the year with uh, them. I I know that there are some coaches or former players that are that are joining teams just for that amount of time. But that's also fine because maybe the player is just looking for their help for a very specific. so if you're looking for something very specific i think 10 15 weeks it's okay even sometimes it's better than 40 weeks because then you're getting your message across much better sometimes being around the player for too long uh maybe that can also hurt the relationship i can hurt the how much the player is benefiting from your work so if let's say with a with Stan, I'm, I'm not doing the coach alone. We're doing it with Magnus, so I don't have to spend 35, 40 weeks of the year with him because we're doing the job together. So I, I do with him probably around 20 weeks a year. Mm-hmm. But with Carolina, she was looking more for someone to really lead the team. And if I, if I was going to take that role, I needed to spend more than 15, 20 weeks with her. So I think if you have someone that can take care of, of a few weeks and, can, and it's on the same page with you and can carry out the plan that you've set, I think if you are if you are with the player for about 25 weeks, I think that's that's a fair amount of time. I my old jobs in the past, I think I enjoyed it, but I think I did maybe a little bit too much. I was doing I was doing about 35, 40 weeks a year, which I think it works quite well at the beginning to spend that amount of time with the player, but maybe for the long term, it's not the best thing. I think after a few years, maybe your voice becomes a little bit weaker, and and not only that, but just the relationship is just because you know how it is on tour. I mean, you're spending. 24-7 with the players under extreme pressure situations so that, that can also hurt the relationship a little bit so I would say that a good balance would be somewhere between 25 and 30 and, and not, not as high as 40
0: And what are the main differences? I mean, is, you were obviously you became very close to Grigor I know over a period of time is, is it naturally more business-like between a man and a woman because you're less likely to be close friends? I mean, what, what, what are the, the main differences there? It was
1: very new for me at the beginning i and I obviously was a bit unsure how how the relationship would play out and and how much business like it would be and 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 how far away the friendship that would be from that business side of the of the relationship but it's not that different to be honest I mean you have to try and find the right balance between the friendship and the business i think it's very difficult to to try and make it business like and then just have a little bit of friendship i don't think that that really works that way just because of of the nature of a, of the coach player relationship on tour you're, you spend way too many hours together, way too many days and 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 also you you 're really sharing quite intimate and emotional moments for the player, especially so I think the the human element of a personal relationship will always be there at least for me and, and my and my coaching style uh, I, I like to to have that uh, that human element that that doesn 't really go away uh, I, I think it it can really benefit the the coaching relationship if, if you can find the right balance.
0: You're listening there to the voice of Danny Valvedu. Um, Danny, I'd love to ask you a little bit too about the players that you've coached in the, in the past. Um, Looking at your coaching CV, I mean, it is extremely impressive for someone who, let's face it, is still pretty young. I mean, you're, you, you you're still, you know, you, you look pretty young. Um, What is your unique selling point? Why are these players ringing you up? Okay, let me have a think. I was extremely
1: lucky with my first coaching job. I was offered a great job with with Andy uh, when I was twenty three almost twenty four years old he was number two in the world and it worked quite well from the beginning so I would say that was yeah my my lucky uh part the luckiest part of my life I would say uh because from the time that I started working with him uh he was winning tournaments and he was always a contender for the big for the big events which is what he was looking for so then that relationship obviously yeah, was what it was, and 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 I think obviously put my name out there right away. That helped a lot, and then obviously again I I, I must be doing something right when I start a new relationship with someone else, and 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 then I, I guess I build a name for myself, and and then when I have conversations with the new player that i may work might be working with, they like they like what I, what they hear, uh, which is very important. I, I always encourage communication and and very open communication at the beginning about what they want of from me and what i expect from them so maybe those conversations usually go well when when you have it with with the players and and then and then the business relationship starts so i think but then but then you have to back it up obviously with the daily work and 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 at the end of the day having some sort of results uh because that uh, that, that's what players are looking for so yeah i think i've been extremely privileged uh I, i had a good start to my to my coaching career and uh, it's it's gone very well now so I'm I feel uh, blessed and privileged where I am at the
0: moment yeah results certainly don't lie Let, let's reminisce a little bit though about the start with Andy you mentioned it and it must be very special the memories with Andy 2010 to 2014 I think you were there for his first Olympic gold medal 2012 you also coached Team GB I think at London as well. Uh, That must have been something. You were there for his Grand Slam wins at the 2012 US Open, 2013 Wimbledon, alongside Ivan Lendl. Which victory, which moment do you take most pride in out of all that with Andy?
1: Well, obviously the one that Ivan wasn't around. (laughs) Um, Very difficult to say. Um, Obviously, winning the Olympics was extremely special just because there was a feeling that, okay, this is not a slam, but it's huge. uh, And this can really... Give him that extra one percent of confidence to to maybe get get over that hurdle and win and win a slam uh, and also winning at home, beating Roger in the final. I mean, doesn't really get better than that. Beating Roger on Wimbledon Center Court in front of your home crowd and and winning a gold medal, your first gold gold medal on your home so- soil, and then obviously being the coach during something like that is extremely special. So I would say that from a coaching perspective, that that felt. I would say up there, but then winning the first slam, it's just very difficult to say because then you win, you win the Olympics gold medal at home. Then you go over to winning your first grand slam, which is amazing. But then the next one is winning Wimbledon for the first time. So how do you really rank those three? You know, one of them is winning gold medal at home. The second one is winning your first grand slam. And the third one is winning your first Wimbledon. So it's very difficult to rank them and they're all very special in, in their own way.
0: Yeah, many, many players. Many, many players won't get close to getting any of them. So it must have been incredible. What did you learn from Andy?
1: Resilience, always wanting to get better, studying the game like no one I've ever met, and caring, uh, care, caring for what you do and, and really devoting yourself to your job. I mean, I, I like I said, I, I got extremely lucky because I, I, I was I was working with someone that... I, I just don't know if it gets better than that to really learn from someone, someone like him with, with how devoted he was to his career, and he still is, uh, as we can see, and how, how hard he tried every day to achieve his goals. And no matter how difficult it was and, and how hard some losses were, how he always stood back up, uh, went back to the drawing board and said, OK, how do we get ready for the next one? And that was extremely special. I mean, even winning the Olympics that year, for me, I, I, I talk about this quite a bit, he uh, loses to Roger in the 2012 Wimbledon final, first Wimbledon final, uh, extremely hard loss to take and, and to swallow, uh, to just drive 20 minutes home after the loss and, and you sit on your couch and be like, I might never get that chance ever again. And I have to go and play on that court in uh, three weeks' time for my nation. So how do you get up from that, you know, and h- how do you get motivated? And not, I'm sure the motivation was there, but how do how do you get the courage to do it all over again just three weeks later on the same court when, when you just had that uh, devastating loss? Uh, so I remember thinking before our first day of practice, I was like, "How am I going to get him ready to play this event emotionally?" He was coming from a from a hard for hard loss from for for him. It was I don't know if it was his fourth or fifth uh, Slam final that he lost, and then obviously the first the first Wimbledon, and then from the first. 15 minutes of the first practice after taking, I think he took a week off after, after Wimbledon, I was like, oh my God, like, I mean, this guy is he's, it's not normal to be, uh, to be playing like this, to be working this hard uh, already on the first day after, after coming back from, from losing that final, so it was uh, really uh, probably the, the number one eye-opener for me in, in my coaching career, and, and, and the most impressive thing I've ever seen, just to have to see someone come back like that, and, and that was not the only time he did it, he did it throughout his whole career so so yeah back to your question it's uh what I take from him is just his work ethic and and his uh, resilience to to get better and and to get it to get over any hurdle that, that that's put in front of him
0: that Andy Murray chapter I guess was the first time that you worked alongside another coach in in Ivan Lendl um what what did you take from that are they sort of happy memories of working alongside a coach for the first time
1: I actually, spent a bit of time with uh, with Alex Correia at the beginning of my relationship. So that was sure. uh, the yeah the first time I had to work with uh, with someone else. But that was only for a few months. Uh, that wasn't that wasn't too long. And then yeah, I was alone for I think I would say it was maybe a year and a half, uh, almost two years. And then uh, we had a bit of help from uh, Darren Cahill. So that was also, I mean, so I went from learning from Alex to Darren, and then Ivan came along. So I've also been lucky to to be around. Uh, good people that have, to, that have taught me a lot of things. So I've been also extremely lucky on, on that side of it. And yeah, uh, Ivan coming around was that, that extra push we needed and, 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 and I, that Andy needed uh, just to feel that, look, uh, we've, we've done all we can to, to prepare. Let's just go and play, try our best, and, and things will go our, our way eventually. So having, having Ivan around was, was not only great, great for Andy, but also great for me and the whole team. So that was, that was extremely special too.
0: What was it that Ivan did um, when you were working with him um, that impressed you the most or had the most impact on you?
1: I would say something that uh, was not new to me, but just, just his approach. Um, for example, when we were practicing and, and his approach uh, explaining and, and taking Andy through through the how, how a match evolves mentally, uh, how a match evolves mentally from the beginning of the match through the first set, second set. And then you know, obviously when you're playing a slam, um, if it goes long, you just of how to deal with certain emotions and how how to tackle um, the highs and, and and the lows when it comes to confidence in a, in a long match uh, so his approach was was very simple but at the same time it was very uh, tough uh, so in a tough in a way that he, he wanted Andy to to gain a lot of confidence from from looking at the opponent and understanding how the other player was feeling that that not not, not to make the match about about yourself when, when you have someone like him explaining that he's he's, very, he's a very simple, straightforward guy, I think it was very useful to, to me and Andy. I mean, for Andy, definitely, but that's something that, that really helped me kind of understand not only the perspective from your side, but how the other players is, see, is, is seeing you and, and your side of the court. So I, I thought that was quite impressive, and, and, and I think that, that really helped Andy out at understanding how obviously playing the top players was, was, was a challenge, uh, but obviously he wanted to make Andy understand how much of a challenge it was for them to be playing him. And to really embrace certain stages in the match where when he was dominating, and to try and gain confidence from that.
0: And he always seems such a, a serious person. I mean, I, I remember back as well to watching some of his classic matches that he used to play with, you know, Mats Villander and Boris Becker, just hugely so sort of serious and focused. And he's always come across a little bit like that as as a coach as well. But I, I sense he's got a dry sense of humor too. What, what's he actually like?
1: Yeah, he tells too many jokes for his own good, to be
0: honest. <laughs> Yeah,
1: he's cracking jokes, uh, one after the other one. So he's extremely funny. He also thinks he's funny, but at times he's not. So it, it, gets, a little, it, it gets a little bit too much. But uh, like I said, I mean, I've, I told you earlier, I mean, he uh, was a great influence in me. He was super nice from the beginning. Uh, he, t- he took me uh, under his wing uh, right away. So I had, a, I had a fantastic time. But yeah, and the more you know him, uh, the more you, you understand his humor and that uh, most of the jokes are coming, coming from a good place. He, uh, yeah, he obviously had to build a certain image when he was playing, and it worked quite well for him to control his emotions and, and, and to be uh, yeah, that kind of cold uh, warrior on court uh, that he was. Uh, and it worked extremely well for him, and, and that's also the image he showed when, when he was on the, on the, on the players' box uh, watching Andy. But yeah, in the, in the back room, in the locker room, he's uh, a completely different person from the one you see in the players' box, box or, or on the match court when he used to play.
0: And next came Burdich and Dimitrov. Um, what do you hold up as the real highs and lows? I guess, talk about Grigor, because he's the most recent one. Big highs with Grigor? Yeah,
1: I mean, uh, from the beginning, I, I mean, I, I had a great time with Grigor. Uh, we worked extremely hard. Um, he was uh, probably working as hard as Andy. That was nice for me to, to see and to be around and he wanted to improve. He wanted to, he wanted to get better. He wanted, I mean, obviously when I started with him, uh, he was a, quite a low, low part of his career. So it was a bit of a challenge to get him going at the beginning, but it didn't take too long, uh, which was, which was nice to see. And, uh, yeah, we, after, I would say I started with him August, 2016. And then already a few months later, he was playing the semifinals in Australia against Rafa with a Good chance to win that match and then make his first la final, so who knows what would have happened and then yeah obviously had a fantastic year in two thousand and seventeen, won a few events, uh, won his first master series, then won uh, London so yeah, a lot of highs in two thousand end of two thousand and sixteen and all of seventeen and then yeah, then obviously the the results weren't what they were at the beginning of the relationship, but uh, again the the work ethic and and my relationship with, with him stayed the same, and then he just got to the point where we both felt that that maybe he needed something different and then yeah in a very friendly friendly manner we we decided to part ways and we're still very close so there there's no hard feelings there and actually there's only good feelings from from my end for sure because it was a very special relationship and, and I'm glad I I helped him even if it was a little bit to achieve some of, some of his goals.
0: And I remember talking to you in Paris shortly after André Agassi had first come in. And I think it was you who even instigated that. Um, did that accelerate the end, though, for you and Grigor, the fact that André was there? And you could almost leave Grigor in a good place with another person?
1: Oh, yeah. Obviously, I mean, I wouldn't ever want to leave a player or stop a relationship with someone. But I, I wouldn't say leaving him because I agreed from, from both ends that it was the best thing. For his career, but yeah, obviously the fact that Andre was was there was easier for me to to come to that conclusion. So yeah, obviously having Andre around, I was spending enough time with him before I stopped working with Grigor uh, to know that that he that he was going to help him and or at least he was going to try his best to to help him. So yeah, that definitely uh, gave me a little bit of peace of mind.
0: You've spoken about the success you had with Grigor and it, and 2018. Well, 2017 was such a successful year. I mean, literally, other than winning a Grand Slam, he he couldn't really have had a better year. He won his first Masters, as you say, in Cincinnati. I remember being courtside for that one when he beat Nick Kyrgios. And then the emotion of the NITO ATP Finals when when he beat David Goffin. Off the back of that year, I'm interested to know whether, with the benefit of hindsight, you'd have maybe done things a little bit differently.
1: So he finished uh, late 2017 for the first time of his career, uh, winning in London. And then you have to prepare right away to play a slam. So uh, it was, I think, maybe I underestimated the fact that it was his first time going through something like that and, and finishing that late. I'm not only finishing that late, but dealing with a lot of emotions uh, from, from winning. Yeah, people sometimes underestimate uh, the emotional roller coaster that it can be, even winning especially when it when it's your first uh, and then you sl- given it a bit of time but and to let it sink in uh, and then and then kind of hit the reset reset button again and, and get going and, and prepare for the next goal so maybe I it's easier easier to say now but looking back maybe I would have given him a bit more time off after after London that year he still took I mean the average uh, time off that, that most players take but uh, looking at it from the outside now and in um, in hand yeah, it's always easier uh, to say it, but uh, I think maybe, maybe giving him giving him a bit more time to to digest all the success uh, during that year could have helped. I mean, but at the same time, he, he went on to the Australian Open in uh, January two thousand eighteen. Uh, was in the quarterfinals, uh, beat uh, Nick Kyrgios in the fourth round, uh, playing a one of the best matches I've I've seen him play, uh, and then I think he just ran out of steam. So. You could. I'm not sure if it was because of the training in December or whatnot, but then he went on to making the quarterfinals in, uh, in Australia that year, lost, lost to Kyle Edmund in the quarters uh, in four sets, I think. And then, yeah, I kind of felt that he, he was a bit flat. Uh, but I don't know if that could have been just from, from the matches in Australia. Uh, so I'm not even sure it, it's coming from November or December. And then he went on to making the finals in uh, Rotterdam a few weeks later playing Roger in the final, he got extremely sick the night before the final, so he actually was not even supposed to play the final, but he just he thought it would be it would be nice to, to show up and, and at least step on court and, and finish the match. And then he didn't play until Indian Wells. And then I think I was kind of like a bit up and down from then. So so I'm not sure if it if it, if that's all coming from from the training we did in, in December or not. Uh, I just think everyone goes through through different uh, roadblocks in in a season, and those roadblocks sometimes can can really slow you down and and sometimes it slows you down more more than other times um, but if I, I think I would have maybe uh slowed him down a little bit more a little bit more during the off season uh maybe let him deal with some emotions then that he wouldn't have had to deal with uh later on mm-hmm. but again it's easier to say it now, so who knows i guess I guess we'll never find out.
0: You, you mentioned the big moments and, and the big matches. I, I'm going to put you on the spot, and I'm sorry before I even do this, i would apologise. What's the best piece of tactical advice, do you think, you've ever given a player going into a match, one that really paid off?
1: Of any one match? I can maybe, th- again, I mean, there's so imagine in the last 10 years how many matches I've done. But maybe if I, the ones that I have a fresher memory about. So London, when Grigor, when Grigor won there... Studying the first couple of matches and realizing how much uh, he was winning slicing, and then he he went on to play the event and I think he hit maybe I think it was over seventy percent of slices uh, dur- during that uh, during that uh, tournament. So obviously uh, after studying the first couple of matches, I realized look he's winning most of the points where where he's slicing most of the backhands and keeping the ball low. That's an extremely low bouncing court. Then I think that really paid off. I think uh, most of the times when he was using the slice. I, I think he was, uh, he was being extremely successful. So I think that tactic to, to make sure he was slicing more than every other ball. So again, it was almost like three out of four he was slicing, mm-hmm. uh, even, on, even on the return. From the ones that I can remember, I think that tactical advice really paid off
0: what's the worst you can remember? Because there must have been a time when a player just looked over to you in the box and just shook their head. In fact, I can imagine Andy doing exactly that. Is there one where you just thought, oh my God, we've got this wrong? Yeah, I mean, this happened, especially with
1: Andy. I mean, <laughs> I cannot point one out because there were probably too many. He, The problem in coaching Andy is that obviously you're trying to give him very specific information before the match because that's what he's looking for. But as the match is developing, he's figuring out stuff quicker than you are. And then, so let's say um, the other guy was serving at or before the match, I tell him, okay, uh, these patterns are the, the ones he likes to play. He doesn't like to hit the forehand down the line. He will most likely at 30-0, he's serving 75% of the time here. Uh, on break point, on the outside, he's serving uh, 65% of the time here. So you'll give him kind of this, uh, these pointers before he's stepping on court. Mm-hmm. But then as the match is going on, he'll be realizing that actually those percentages are not 100% correct on that day. So then it'll be 6-4, 3 all in the second set, break point, And then he'll win the point and he'll look at me and I'll be like, Cover the white and then he'll get ace down the tee, and he'll look at me and be like, "I know he's going there. Why am I listening to you?" So that that's something that happened to him probably at least a hundred times, uh, because he 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 will, and 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 he was quite good at trusting the team and and really listening to to what we had to say. But it kind of yeah, it backfired, it backfired uh, more than once with him. <laughs> yeah, but again, I've I've never worked or been around anybody that with that level of, of tennis IQ and, and it's, easier to, it's easy to have tennis IQ when you're watching on the outside uh, obviously because you, there are no emotions involved and, and you're not emotionally involved uh, in the match in front of uh, 15,000 people in the stadium and, and millions watching on TV but he's able to to dissect the match as it's happening better than anybody obviously the, the other top guys do it extremely well too but at least from the from the players that i have been around uh, no one does it better than him
0: my thanks to Danny Valverde. Always an absolute pleasure to talk with Danny. And that was not all we heard from him. There's actually an extended version of our chat on the ATP Tennis Radio Exclusives channel on TuneIn. There's more on his time with Andy Murray, including their very first meeting, which, funnily enough, didn't go very well. Also growing up in Venezuela and why Danny decided to become a coach In the first place, it is well worth the extra 15 minutes of your time, I can assure you. If you want to hear that, head to the TuneIn app or website and search for ATP Tennis Radio. You'll find our live channel and our back catalogue of podcasts and exclusives there, where you'll find all of our interviews. Next week, it's an absolute blockbuster. I'll be joined by former US Open champion and Wimbledon and Australian Open finalist Marin Cilic. Marin's a new dad we hear all about that also the fantastic work he's been doing with his foundation during lockdown and yes we did talk about Wimbledon that blister and all of those tears I'm Seb Lozier. if you're enjoying the podcast let us know on Twitter that's at ATP Tennis Radio leave us a review and you can even email us at studio at dot com. why not let us know who you want to hear from For now, though, thank you for listening. See you next time. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. Review, review.